everyone, thank you so much for the time that we got to spend together in prayer. Um, I'm going to stay down here today. But you can turn in your Bibles to the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians, um, or it will be on the screen behind me, and I'll read it in just a minute. And if you're visiting and you don't know who I am, I'm Joel. I'm a lead pastor here at the Gospel Tab. And as we get to the passage that we'll be taking a look at today, uh, let me just give you a few updates um, on mission. So first of all, uh, this may have already been said in a previous uh, service. I haven't been at the Crestmont location the last two Sundays. Um, but I just wanted to let you know that we are part of a wider family movement of churches called the Christian Missionary Alliance, it was already mentioned, um, that is very much present and has been doing ministry in both the nations of Russia and the Ukraine um, for quite some time. Actually, we've had uh, missionaries from that part of the world come through here over the years. It's been a while, um, but come here and minister. And uh, we just keep getting reports of what God is doing um, and how his church is being mobilized and how his church is suffering um, in the midst of all of this. But in both of those nations, um, uh, God's people are doing God's work and mobilizing. And so I certainly say that to ask you to continue to pray. But also, if you visit the website of our um, family of churches, the Christian Missionary Alliance, you'll see opportunities to give. And I just say that so that you know if you're looking for a tangible way um, to in, invest with people that you can trust, who you know are, gonna, who are, you know are on the ground doing things um, to respond to this situation, and there's opportunities uh, for you to do that. I also just want to let you know, I continue to be really encouraged by multiplication that is happening in Western Pennsylvania. Just a quick story. Um, last Sunday, Wes Sherry, uh, Wes and Sarah uh, are planting um, with our district and our network in um, uh, McKeesport, or East McKeesport, on the other side of the city. And some of you have prayed for them and supported them. Well, Wes preached at the Franklin Avenue campus uh, last week um, while David Smock was preaching here, who's also one of our church planners. But just really cool. I, I should have thrown the picture up. I didn't have it. But Wes and Sarah have now launched two missional communities in East McKeesport. I have the coolest picture of their first night meeting. And they're beginning to mobilize for some youth development programming happening there, too. So just keep praying for them. Um, they are really experiencing God at work. And of course, there's always some spiritual warfare with that too. So it's just stuff we're praying for. Uh, but I just wanted to give you a quick update there. And then if I can just add an accent to two things. Michael and Brooke um, already talked about this uh, seven-hour, we're calling it a prayer burn, that we will have on March 26th. And you can come and go as you please with that, if you can stop in just for a few minutes, great. If you want to linger longer, that's great. Um, but this for us is really flowing out of the movement of prayer that everything we've experienced as a Gospel Tab family or as a Greenhouse Network family has come out. It's really been a story of prayer. And um, especially as things regionalize and we're beginning to do ministry in the city of Pittsburgh and in other places, um, I am just feeling this groundswell of prayer begin to take shape. And I really haven't been involved in all the planning of that. Um, I'm just telling you what I'm feeling. And Steve and David are giving shape to a lot of that. Uh, but it would mean a lot to us if you stopped in. We're just starting to stretch our capacity 
um, to pray more and in more spaces and in different ways. And so we'd love for you to come. And it was already mentioned about April 3rd will be the baby dedication, but we will be combined again with the Franklin Avenue campus on that date in part because a friend of mine, Tim Meyer, from the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance National Office is coming to preach that day. Um, just bringing us greetings and encouragement from the Alliance family, especially as we're in a season of transition as a Gospel Tab family. Um, I know you'll be encouraged by Tim's ministry. Um, and a, I think a cool thing you're going to discover about us worshiping in these different locations is that you know how Easter is at the Gospel Tab? How it's like, like, a, like a, just a party, you know? Like like face melts off party, you know? Well, well, we're going to get to do that uh, more times throughout the year um, than just at Easter because I think every time we get together, so Easter isn't until a couple weeks after that, but April 3rd we'll get together because Tim will be with us, and, um, and I think it's going to have that same kind of feel. And so uh, we will have these seasons where we'll get to recombine and celebrate together, and I think that's going to be really meaningful to be in that rhythm of celebration and being sent. So we are in this series on family on mission. It's language we use a lot around here. Um, And for this Sunday and next Sunday, I'll be preaching here next Sunday as well, um, we are going to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts and what it means that God has poured this grace out on the church And that this grace manifests in the lives of people who are part of this family, me and you, and then sends us into the world to be on mission with him. And probably, definitely this Sunday, probably next Sunday too, I'm going to make this really practical and tangible to where we are as a Gospel Tab family, this season of multiplication, regionalization, and generational transfer. So I hope it's encouraging to you. Um, For some of you, this passage will be familiar, maybe not. For others of you, you can follow along on the screen. And I'm going to give some commentary as we go through it, just so we can understand what we're reading, and we'll reflect on it together. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, Paul is writing to this ancient church, all kinds of instruction. Uh, This is a church that he really has to correct a lot, Um, but there is just a goldmine of uh, encouragement that Paul has in this letter, just encouraging uh, this church in its functioning as a church, what it looks like for them to be a family together. So it makes sense during a series like this that we would turn to 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4, Paul says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Okay, so pretty clear, right? This grace that God has poured out on his church is manifesting in the lives of individuals, um, ordinary people all over the world. And so we see different ways that this grace manifests. Now, it, it doesn't mean that there's multiple gods, Right? Paul is saying, we confess one God. It's the same Lord, the Lord Jesus. But coming from that one source is this grace that pours into our lives and is demonstrated in different ways. Verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
Now, there's a particular context that you should be aware of as we read this passage. That word manifestation is the Greek word phanerosis, and it's translated right here. It means manifestation. What Paul is imagining is believers getting together, and probably not in a worship service like this. We know that in Corinth they were getting together in each other's homes. But he's imagining believers getting together, one Lord, pouring out his grace on that group of believers, and in their gathering, there are different manifestations that happen. Um, Grace manifests in the room. How? Well, through the lives of the people gathered in the room. There are particular things that are said or done that would allow someone observing that gathering to say, oh, that's Jesus. Oh, but that's Jesus too. Oh, and, and now this person is doing this thing, and that's Jesus. And, that's, and this is how Jesus shows up in a room. When we talk about Jesus showing up in a room, that's part of what we mean, that he's showing up in each other. He's everywhere all at once, but he manifests himself in each other in these particular ways. And we get to observe, have these sightings of Jesus in each other when we get together. Um, and that means that the believers aren't just getting together to like talk about Jesus or something. We get together to experience him, but how? It's in each other, right? And then he goes on to list what some of these manifestations might look like. And we've done series here at the Gospel Tab before. I know that there are people out there who would teach that some manifestations in this list are not active today. I have no reason to believe that's the case. If we take the Bible at face value, we would just believe that Jesus is still at work in these ways today. So verse 8. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is the picture of how Jesus shows up in a group of gathered believers, right? It's not just in an order of service, although there's nothing wrong with that. The picture here, can you see it as Paul paints it? As these people have gotten together and it's like Jesus is popping up in different places in the room as these things manifest. One person prophesies. Somebody gets healed over here. Someone's speaking in tongues over here. There's an interpretation over here. That together becomes the collective experience of that gathered group of believers on the particular day in which they gathered. Now, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Now don't pass too quickly over that Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, because now Paul is making a case, and he's going to paint for us a picture and a metaphor, that there isn't just only one Lord, there's also one body too. That Jesus only has one church, but this is a transcultural church. And so that means that this one body that Jesus has is made up of people of different races, Jew and Gentile, 
different socioeconomic classes, slave and free. And it's part of how diversity gets expressed in the body of Christ. So now there's two things interacting. There's all these gifts, tongues, healing, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, that can show up in a gathering like this. But in a gathering like this, there can also be different cultures, different cultural experiences, different cultural expressions. It's certainly true of the church worldwide. And so those two things mixed together provide for an endless display of this one Lord and one body, but almost limitless diversity, right, that can come from this group of people. Um, Let's continue on, verse 15. Now, I'm sorry, verse 14. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body, right? So he's saying you can't opt out. I'll repeat that in a little bit. Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that's weird, right? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, he's continuing on this metaphor, I don't need you. So now we learn something else. We can't opt out, but we also can't exclude. I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. (laughs) On the contrary, and by the way, how many times have Christians said those words to each other? There ought to be a sense of conviction that falls on the church of Jesus as we read this. I don't need you. Um, verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, he gets into a description of how all these parts can relate to each other. I'm not going to spend too much on this today because we, over the years of the Gospel Tab, we have done whole sermon series on this little part in 1 Corinthians 12 because it is gold in figuring out what it's supposed to look like for all these parts to relate to each other. So it's not the point of my sermon today, but can I just say one thing? Just today, just today, I saw a video that I just know is going to be shared by a bunch of Christians on Facebook. And it's saying, it's defining what equality is and isn't. And this person, I don't know if they're a believer or not, I just know that there's going to be a lot of Christians that love this video. And this person is saying in the video, equality is not saying, oh, you need more attention or time or whatever because you have less. Um, it's just being equal to everyone. Well, let me just say this. This is why, it's just an example. You need to be careful about getting your theology from Facebook, all right? And here's why. That right there is contrary to what I'm about to read, where Paul tells us to pay attention who has less and to give them more of our time and resources and attention. Now, how that gets worked out in the church, how that gets worked out in society, that's for you to figure out. But we can't let just these little soundbite snippets we get that contradict the word of God affect what we think. And it's why we have to read our Bibles, friends. Um, Because there's so much out there that sounds right, but it is not right. All right? Okay, I lost. That's not my sermon. What was I preaching on here? Verse 23. 
We'll start at 22 again. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. Paul is saying here, if you, if you are, are taken care of, if, if you are in a set of relationships where your needs are being ta- paid attention to, you don't need any more time or attention. You don't need special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern. God does want equal concern but us paying attention to where the special needs are. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, he's going to list off some other gifts here. First of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so Paul is saying, there isn't one of us as the whole package, right? Because the body, if, if the body were just an eye, where would the other senses be, right? And so Paul's saying, on one hand, none of us are the whole package. Jesus is showing up in a group of people, and yet it is always a holy thing to desire more from God, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And Paul's going to go on to say that one of those greater gifts is prophecy, the ability to hear what the Spirit is saying and to humbly deliver a word to someone else in a gathering like this or in other places for their encouragement and exhortation and comfort That is something that we should desire from the Lord, to be able to hear from him and deliver that word to another person. All right, so that's kind of the summary of the passage. Now, let's make this really practical to the gospel tab and talk a little bit about where we are as a church family in this multiplication. Um, Because right now, a lot of people we love and care about are worshiping down on Franklin Avenue. So what does this passage have to do with where we find ourselves today? Well, first of all, let's just sum up everything we read in 1 Corinthians 12 with this statement, that Jesus has distributed himself to a set of relationships called the church. And we can't opt out and we can't exclude. So Jesus has distributed himself in the time in which we live. Where is Jesus? Jesus has distributed himself by the Holy Spirit to a set of relationships, interdependent, interlocking relationships, cross-cultural, cross-racial, cross-national relationships called the church. Now, can we just pause here for a second and say, this is crazy. Um, I don't know, like, do you know when Jesus was here physically on earth in his body, he told the disciples, it's actually better that I leave so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. They must have thought he was talking crazy. You know, like, it's actually better for you to go away. And Jesus said, yes, it was, so that the Holy Spirit could come. And this is what Jesus is describing, so that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, himself God, can be distributed into a set of relationships that we call the church. If you're not a fan of the office, this is just going to go right over your head, and I'm so sorry, but I just couldn't get away from it. Um, there's a character in the office named Andy, and I can't remember exactly the right, um, it's amazing I've made it this long without an office reference. 
in any of my sermons. But anyway, um, there's, there's a character named Andy, and at some point, they're giving him, like, uh, all these leads for sales. And he just knows he's a terrible salesman. And so he's like, no, 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 I'm going to lose the sale. I'm going to lose the sale. And they just keep giving it to him. He keeps getting on the phone, losing the sale, losing the sale. That's how I feel when I think about Jesus doing this. I'm like, wait, are you sure you want to give it to us? You want to sure you want to give Jesus, like, what you built up, what you taught, this kingdom, the power? You want to give it to us? Because it feels like we're going to lose it, right? It feels like, and then not just to, like, really talented people, but to, like, whoever, you know, gets, like, baptized in water and submits to his lordship. And, and he just, it's just what he's like, just, just gives his stuff away to all of us. And this is his design. He has distributed himself not just to an elite group of people, but to this set of relationships, and not just this one, not just to an elite church or something like that. And we're not that, but if you want to think that's okay. Um, but to his worldwide church, to this messy set of relationships. And we can't opt out of that. If you're in Christ, you're in the church, right? If you're in Christ, you've been baptized into the family too. Now, you might not like to hang around the church. You might feel some type of way about the church. I get it. We have complicated journeys, but you're part of the thing because this is who Jesus has left his church too. I mean, his spirit too. And we can't exclude. Um, we don't get to look at part of the body of Christ and say, we don't need you. It's very interesting how Paul words it because he doesn't say, we can't look and say, I don't like you or I don't. And we do plenty of that stuff too. He's saying, we can't even say we don't need you. We're so interdependent, and Jesus has poured himself out so broadly that to look at a brother or sister and say, I don't need you, is to say that we don't need part of Christ, right? Because he has given himself to those individuals too. Now, I'm going to try to do this as fast as I can, but just follow my train of thought here as we think about the meaning of 1 Corinthians 12 for us as a Gospel Tab family. Number two, I'll make this statement. Every time Christians gather, they act out, or we could even say perform, their theology. That's a fancy way of saying they do what they believe, all right? And it's really, in many ways, it's not really a matter of like trying to do what they believe. I mean, we all kind of can't help it. We do what we believe. And Christians show what they believe by what they do. When we get together to be the church around meals or a mission, we are doing the things that we believe in. Whether we say it or not, we're doing the things. So let me give you an example. We just took communion together. Now, I'm going to make a point here in a minute that Jesus didn't give us very many instructions about how to do church. But this is one of the things he told us to do, right? Clearly, this is one of the things that Jesus told us very clearly to take this meal together. Well, think about how what we just did demonstrates the teaching of 1 Corinthians 12. If 1 Corinthians 12 is teaching us that Jesus has distributed himself to a set of relationships called the church, well, then this meal perfectly performs what we believe, right? That Jesus has taken himself and distributed himself to this family, right? We are acting out the thing that we believe in. 
And when we fail to act out what we believe in, it needs corrected. So this is why in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul has to correct this group of believers about some things related to communion. Why? Well, number one, because can you imagine they were getting drunk at the communion meal, right? So some people are getting a little tipsy when they get together to have this meal. So Paul's like, number one, that doesn't demonstrate what this is about. But here's, here's the thing Paul's really worked up about. The wealthy people, the prominent people, the people of reputation are getting to the food first. And sometimes by the end of the service, not, not service, by the end of their like house gathering, there's not enough communion for the poor people, for the people who have less stature. Paul is so upset about this and corrects it so strongly. His teaching on communion to the Corinthians is like, it is possible to actually die by not honoring the communion meal. Like God might just add his judgment to it and take some lives. He is so worked up about why. Because Jesus left us something that communicates what we just read here in 1 Corinthians 12. And feeding the rich people while leaving the poor people out does not communicate the truth that Jesus left to us. That he has distributed himself to us all. And so that's why Paul corrects it. Paul's like, you cannot do things in church. You cannot do things in your gatherings that are disobedient to the teachings of Jesus, right? So when we get together, we act out the things that we believe. Which brings me to my next point, that when it comes to church, we should remember what is biblical and what is tradition. When it comes to church, we should remember what is biblical and what is tradition. Now, can I just say something about the biblical part? For as much as Christians argue about what should happen in church, for as as strong as our opinions are, about what happens in church. It's amazing how precious little instruction Jesus gives us on what should happen in church. It's amazing. There's actually way more in the Old Testament surrounding the tabernacle and the temple. Very little in the New Testament. A lot of that probably has to do with now God's people are entering into this cross-cultural time where every culture is going to express the church in its own way. Jesus gave us some things. Communion is one of those things. But he gave us very little instruction on how this should go. It does seem to me like we spent a lot of time, I'm guilty of it too, having opinions about things that just weren't as important to Jesus as they are to us. Um, But when it's biblical, we should stick to it, right? I think we all agree with that. But here's what I want to say about traditions. Traditions are important too. Um, They're important not because they're necessarily biblical. They're important because they they create some of the space where we express love to each other or where we oppress each other. So traditions are worth talking about. Traditions are worth talking about because we can honor each other in them or we can dishonor each other in them. And so we should talk about them, right? But we can honor each other in traditions. Don't you around the holidays? We have a family tradition on Christmas Eve of eating soup and bread. It's just something we've done for a long time. We look forward to it. We talk about it. Why do we stick with that tradition? Because is that what the Bible teaches we should do on Christmas Eve? No. Uh, The Bible has nothing to say about what I do on Christmas Eve right? But is it important still? Yes. Why? Because it's a way that our family expresses love to each other. So it's okay for families to have traditions, 
And as a matter of fact, every family has traditions. It's okay for the gospel tab to have traditions. It's also important for us to remember what is biblical and what is just tradition and to give appropriate weight, right, to those things. So here's a question I have for you. And guys, I have to, I have to tell you, as I'm on my, like, final kind of, uh, you know, period of time um, in the sleep pastor role here at the Gospel Tab, there's all these things that are coming to my mind, like, oh, I've always wanted to say that, and now I get to say it all. So, all right. Um, let's just think about a gathering like this. Let me ask you, in a gathering like this, what is biblical and what is just tradition? And I'm not saying that either are unimportant. Tradition can be very important. I'm just asking, what is biblical and what is just tradition? A sanctuary like this, is it biblical? It's design, even its existence? Or is it just tradition? Um, a, a pulpit like this where we preach sermons, is that, is that something you'll find instructions on in the Bible? Or is this our tradition and the tradition of many churches for many years? I'm not saying it's unimportant. Just asking which is it. The chairs set up like this facing a direction or pews or the list could go on and on, certain kinds of music, all these things. Let's just think about how tradition and the Bible worked for the people of God over time. You know, the early Christians were largely kind of embedded in the Jewish community. So there was a tradition of, and some biblical instruction on worshiping in the temple, but then the tradition of the synagogue popped up in the Jewish community. And a lot of what we've inherited as Christians comes from that tradition. Um, Facing forward like this, the reading of scripture, preaching, you won't find a lot of that you know, laid out in a specific way in the scriptures. But we did inherit it from our Jewish roots in the system of the synagogue, and it is important. I'm not suggesting that we should all burn it down to the ground. Jesus interacted with that system. Jesus went to the synagogue for worship. Jesus taught in the synagogue himself. The early Christian leaders taught in the synagogue. But it's interesting because once the Christian community became less Jewish, and became more Gentile and started to cross into different cultures, we see something different happen. It's the gathering of Christians in houses and gathering around tables. And they saw this in Jesus too because so much of Jesus' investment in his own disciples didn't happen in the synagogue. It happened around tables. It happened around meals. And guys, for like hundreds of years, this is how Christians worshiped. For hundreds of years, they didn't come to a worship service with an order of service. They got together around each other's tables until a Roman emperor, about 500 years into this thing, named Constantine, converts to Christianity. And now all of a sudden, Christianity, which had been this marginalized, excluded religion, is now the religion of the Roman Empire. And it forever changed the history and trajectory of Christianity Maybe in some good ways, but I think most of us look back and think that whatever Jesus was thinking of, he didn't really imagine it becoming part of the state religion, right? And so it also corrupted what we ended up inheriting in ways that we are probably still recovering from this time. As soon as the teachings of Jesus got wed to hierarchy and power and all of this, it just forever changed the way we did church. And then the church went into an a thousand-year time period. Listen, Jesus was working in all of these times through the Middle Ages. You'll find pictures of faithfulness and people following Jesus. But for like a thousand years, the church entered into a time that was not 
um, um, too healthy, um, drifted from the teachings of Jesus. And then uh, the reformers, right? People like Martin Luther and John Calvin. Um, Luther especially didn't even want to leave the Catholic Church, got kicked out eventually, but started to make these critiques of the way that the church was doing things. And what was one of their big critiques? It was that the word of God was not appropriately being held up in Christian worship and in Christian gatherings. Now, Bible or tradition, well, we know that the scripture should be read in our churches, right? Um, But it was a period of the church where there were huge pockets of the population that couldn't read, and then there were even leaders of the church who were unable to read, and so they had never read this. And so something rose up in that group of leaders that was like, we need to hold out the word of God in our worship gatherings, and this is when there's a new emphasis on the pulpit, right? We inherited this from that time. Why? Because the church was trying to course correct on something, developing new traditions so that it could express what it believed. It was like what we're doing together is not what we fully believe in, so we need new spaces to express what we believe. We could fast forward to about 100 years ago, after hundreds of years of the word of God, especially in Protestant churches, being the main thing that happens in church. People come to church to hear the sermon. A new course correction pops up, and it's like, wait a second, what about 1 Corinthians 12 and these gifts, and aren't we supposed to see Jesus moving in our worship gatherings? And so there's this whole set of revivals in the late 1800s. The Christian Missionary Alliance was part of that story that led up to the Pentecostal movement, and there's this emphasis, this course correction on, hey, we need to leave room in our gatherings for the Spirit of God to work, and so we create new traditions to create what we're feeling, things like the altar call, Right? Which you, is the altar call in the Bible? No, right? But it is a tradition that developed that's not bad in and of itself. It, it created space for us to express something that we were hungry for, right? The presence of God in our gatherings. What if we could just make room, right, in our gatherings for that? Um, so it's like in every stage of the church, every generation of Christians has to wrestle with what is the Bible And what is tradition? It's like each generation inherits a canvas to paint on about what the church is going to look like. But here's the thing. The canvas is never blank. It's been painted on for like hundreds of years, right? And we get to look at it and ask the question, what is God doing? Never never wanting to throw out the Bible, but asking the question, what is God doing among us now in this season? We get to ask that question again. I say all of that to say, I'm going to wrap up here in a few minutes. I say all of that to ask this one thing. This teaching that I gave you this morning out of 1 Corinthians 12, does a large worship gathering with a few people up front talking or singing, does it express in and of itself the heart of 1 Corinthians 12? I'm not saying it's bad. I love it. But I'm just asking the question. This form, this picture that we've inherited that we get to paint on, and I think Jesus invites us to paint on, to ask these questions, what is the Spirit of God doing? Does a large worship gathering best express the heart of 1 Corinthians 12 where everybody gets to play? Where everybody has a role? Does does the center of our service being a gifted communicator 
teaching you one directionally, does it best express, I need you? Does it best express, you can't opt out? I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just asking a question. We demonstrate what we believe in by the way that we worship. We can say all day long that we believe all of us have the gifts, that all of us are called, that all of us, but if, if, all, if every time we get together, it's just a few people doing everything, right? Then it doesn't fully express that Jesus has distributed himself not to an elite class of disciples, but to a family of interconnected, interdependent relationships. Now, I want to be clear. We will make our own innovations, and we are at the Gospel Tab. We will paint on that canvas, and every time we do, it's imperfect. It's a sloppy painting. To God, it must look like one of those preschooler finger painting kind of things, right? Um, it's always imperfect, but I also think it's the responsibility of every generation to ask how we express what we've come to believe. So, let's talk just for five minutes. I'll get you out of here about this season of multiplication that we're in. I just want to ask you this. Does smallness help us express what's in 1 Corinthians 12 better? And, and by smallness, I mean like, like every part of it, the gifts being expressed, the fact that God has distributed himself among all of us. It's a question we have to ask as a gospel have family because just a few weeks ago, it was packed out in here we were bringing in new chairs in the back. And friends, if I could tell you all the times in 15 years, really well-meaning people have come to me and said, Joel, you guys know you could be a big church. Um, and, and I know some of what they're saying. They're saying, you, you guys got what it takes. You got John Jordan, you know? <laughs> you got, you got, <laughs> you got, you got good musicians. You got good preaching. You got younger leaders. You got, oh, you could be a big deal. You could become a bigger church. And, and there's, there's evidence that maybe along the lines of success that they're saying could be right. A few weeks ago, utterly packed out in here, right? And we've had Sundays like that. But in recent years, and I'm not saying we're doing it perfectly. We're just all preschoolers painting on that canvas. There has been something that God has driven deep into us as a Gospel Tab family over these years that is like smallness lets us express our convictions. That actually multiplying, choosing smallness, who does that? Who does that in a culture that only values bigness, right? We're saying, what if smallness is actually, not perfect, nothing's perfect, but could smallness actually help us express better what we so care about? Here's how multiplication works. And I know some of you are feeling this, but if I can just speak to some specific things. By choosing to worship in two locations, just that simple act, and I'm not even talking about the network, all the other ways we've multiplied in, the, in recent years. Let's just talk about the Franklin Avenue campus in here. Um, it's like it's the next iteration of passing on a canvas, Right? And I think it's important that we do that because some people and churches hold on to canvases for so long that the paint gets all crusty and crackly, right? So it's like, let's go ahead and just pass on the canvas, right? And, and since we all get to play, and since we all have a spirit, we all get to paint, right? So let's create more room 
for painters, right, to approach that campus, that canvas, campus, canvas, whatever, uh, to see, you know, what, what might happen there. Now, over the hill, and they will have their own things to figure out how to paint, but it can feel new and fresh. I understand that here it can feel like loss. So much of giving ourselves away does. So much of multiplication does feel like loss. I know I'm over, but I need to finish this part, all right? So much does feel loss, and I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge it and not talk you out of it because it's actually part of how we'll grow as a church family and following Jesus. If this church gains the ability to grieve loss well, it is directly connected to our ability to multiply into the neighborhoods and the nations. If we can do that in a way that keeps saying, Jesus, we choose our own death. Jesus, whatever you've given us, we give back to you. We keep laying this stuff down over and over and over again, and we know it could turn into what would be celebrated as a stunning picture of success, but let's just keep laying it down, keep letting it die, keep grieving. Every time you put those seeds into the ground, it will multiply far more than what we can imagine. This is how the kingdom of God works. Even what he gives to us, right, we give away. And multiplication creates the room. Let's say smallness, because to to keep multiplying is to keep staying small. Smallness creates the room for us to not just watch a few people perform the thing that we love, but to actually be the thing that we love. So let's just talk about a few things. Miracles, worship, and diversity. Miracles. Don't you love that the gospel tab family believes that God can heal the sick? Come on, let me hear you. Don't you love that? I love it too. But let me tell you, Jesus has distributed himself to a set of relationships called the church. The longer the gospel tab goes on, our story cannot be about you hearing miracle stories from a small group of disciples at the gospel tab. He has distributed his healing power. Some of you work miracles. Some of you heal the sick. He has distributed that to you as well. And making room, even in this small way, means that we need more people to pray, that we need more people to pray for the sick, that we, it's going to create room, not to just watch people perform the thing we love, but to be the thing that we love. Um, our worship culture I realize we split into smaller settings. It feels different. Like probably on the third, it's going you know, to be that gospel tab energy. You know, when we get together, it, does, it doesn't always feel that way when we get into smaller gatherings. By the way, it's not about the gospel tab's energy. It's about the energy of Jesus in our midst. I really don't care what it feels like so long as he's present among us, right? That's what's most important, right, is him among us. But I would say this. If you find yourself missing what the gospel tab had in this gathering a few weeks ago, don't just wait to watch other people perform it for you. Be it. Raise the temperature. If you miss it, then be it. That's what multiplication does. Friends, I started shouting in worship, and you don't need to shout in worship, but I started shouting in worship really just out of my pain. Uh, If you want to know why I shout so much in worship, it's been a way for me to express my pain before God. And the more I've worshipped him, the more I have shouted. Well, I was shouting in a pew that used to be over here like years ago, before there was any of this vibe that we now experience at the gospel. I just knew I needed God. I didn't care if people shouted or not. I didn't care what they thought of me. I just had to shout. 
You can be that person here too. Last thing, diversity. I know that's a value of ours, but can I tell you about something about diversity at the Gospel Tab? Couple things. First of all, it is the job of every missionary to understand his or her community and, and then not to fall prey to its idolatries. Well, here, here's the issue in Beaver County. We need to understand our community in terms of how culture and history and even things like oppression and injustice have separated whole groups of people by race and class. You can see examples of that. It's sin that has created some of that in Beaver County, no doubt. Um, and so we, we need to reach those groups of people, no doubt, and plan. And that's some of the reason why we want to be in a different neighborhood. At the same time, we can't fall prey to that idolatry and talk like uh, we have to stay separated in the places you know, where God has put us. It, what I'm saying is this. Friends, whatever level of diversity we have so far at the Gospel Tab, um, it's here in part because people built relationships with people who were different than them and included those people in the life of our church. And so if you miss that, then be it. Begin asking the question, God, pray. God, put me in relationship with people who are different than me. God, let me be involved with people who are different than me. And don't think that people who look different than you or act different than you just live in certain neighborhoods. Friends, Beaver County is changing. Um, our friends, uh, this is on the other side of the city, but our friends Wes and Sarah went into the church plant in McKeesport, really burdened for Spanish-speaking people. And they just started praying, God, introduce us. Just open up doors. And wouldn't you know it, these meaningful relationships started to open up. What if the next canvas for the gospel tab is for a Spanish-speaking population to start worshiping here? Why not? Some of you, if you want that, if that's something that God burns for you, you should start praying for it. And let's just see what God does. There's always a next iteration of the canvas that God is giving to us. All right, I need to end. I preach too long. Friends, is that helpful in understanding some of where we're at? Um, there's something about multiplication that puts us in touch with this neediness, this need for God to move, this need for each other that we need to keep expressing. All right, friends? All right, who's closing the service? Sure. Yeah. Guys, thank you for letting me preach along.